Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Overtime Buzz podcast. This is going to be our sixth NHL episode. Uh, we've got a lot to recap. It's been a while, um, so I guess let's just get to it. Uh, how have you been, Dante? Been good, Zach. It's been a while since we've been on here. Talk about the Penguins. A lot of stuff happened, um, as we mentioned before jumping on here. Uh, a win streak, tons of injuries. Um, it's definitely a lot to dive into, so I'm excited to be back on here and uh, looking ahead towards the deadline here in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's been a couple weeks since we last talked, and um, like you said, a win streak. I mean, the Pens, they went on a little bit of a heater there. Uh, one of them was seven or eight straight games. Um, they just looked really good. I mean, certainly a couple games against Buffalo doesn't hurt, um, just as was quoted um, previously, uh, the absolute dumpster fire of the league. Um, it's just really bad. <laughs> I mean, they beat them 5-2 and 3 nothing. Um I mean, during that win streak, I mean, you beat the Flyers once, the Rangers twice, two quite impressive wins over the Rangers, Buffalo, and then beat Boston once. Um, I mean, it was certainly good to see, um, especially winning eight of nine like that. Um, you know, it, it was a good streak, but, um, you know, it, you can't put too much weight into those Buffalo wins. The Ranger wins are impressive. They've been playing better. Um, the Philly win was kind of like right at the beginning of their downfall, <clears throat> 9 nothing. Um you know, I, I just think that, you know, the the way that this season's gone, it was good to see. But, you know, you also mentioned injuries. Um, if you want to take that one away, at least give a little recap. We can dive into kind of what it means as well. Um, but I'll let you take that one away. Yeah, and then just to touch real quick on the, the win streak, we, we mentioned it was a six-game win streak, but it easily could have been eight games. If, if you recall back to the second Philadelphia game when um, – Penguins jumped out to a three nothing lead ten minutes into the game. It might have been even five minutes into the game, and uh, ended up losing that one four to three in regulation. But um, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, games against Buffalo, games against the Rangers. It was good to see, you know, especially against Philadelphia too. Uh, the team that seems to be the team to watch for the Penguins here because Boston has a lot of games in hand. So if there's one team that Pittsburgh's probably going to be battling for that final playoff spot, it's probably going to be Philly. But um, yeah, so two big ones there. Um, you know, the Rangers, like you mentioned, coming into that ser- those two series of ga- uh, series of two games, they were playing really well, and it, it, it's kind of uh, I, I know it's kind of sad that you know coming into that they were like, all right, this is the measuring stick game for us. You know, two games against the Penguins, like, are we for real? Can we show this division that you know we can make some noise? <laughs> and you know, the Penguins just walloped them. I think it was 5-1 to one the first game and then 4-2 to two the second game. But um, they're doing better now, the Rangers. I think they're like two points behind Philly. But um, obviously the two wins against Buffalo. Um, those are games you have to win, um, especially with the schedule as it is and playing only teams in your division and how just abysmal they've been this season. Um, definitely can't let points slip against a team like that. And then splitting the series against Boston, I mean, that, that was – pretty much a win in my book um but at the end of the streak we have to talk about the injuries because this team is just absolutely decimated right now because of injuries i mean you could argue that they're a one man or a one line team right now with sid uh gensel and rust on the top line and it's pretty much just i don't know putting pieces i mean it's an ahl squad yeah i mean it it is (laughs) <laughs> it's bad. I mean, you got you got McCann and Kapanen, who McCann finally came back uh, the second New Jersey game. But, I mean, you've got guys like Freddie Goudreau, who, I mean, 
good hockey players, but that probably aren't regulars in the NHL. You got Sam Lafferty, Rodriguez. I think Zach Aston Reese was on the second line today, skating with the team. Uh, Colton Sevier, Anthony Angelo, like guys like guys that are probably meant to be in Wilkes that are being relied upon here. And, and we saw Sullivan kind of roll all four lines the last game, which we've been begging for him to do for the longest time, which, and I think it's ironic that he finally waits until he has probably the worst lineup that he's ever been given as coach of the Penguins to finally start doing that again. So, but um, yeah, the Brandon Tanev injury is bad. Obviously the Malkin injury is bad. They haven't really given too many specifics about that one yet. Um, Penguins normally never do, but um, it was, it was said that, they really couldn't get a good read on that injury because of the swelling in the knee area, which honestly is never a good thing, um, especially with knee injuries. If that if that area is swollen and they still aren't able to figure out what's going on there, then that's probably a pretty significant injury. So um, they could be without him for a while, and, and if they are without him for a while, I think it's safe to say that this team's going to be in for a battle to get to that Final Four spot. And it's a good thing they ripped off a six-game heater like they did before this because they really, really needed those points now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Malkin injury is definitely, I think, in my book, the worst one. I mean, you're looking at, um, you know, Malkin, Tanev, Zucker, um, you know, three, arguably three of the best six or seven forwards on the team um, are hurt right now. Um, You know, Zucker, they're not sure – when in the regular season he'll be back. Um, like you said, Malkin, you know, you never know um, with a knee because, you know, like you said, if there's too much swelling or anything, um, a knee can be really hard to read. And that's, you know, I guess it could go one of two ways. It could be simply that it was a knee-on-knee, bone-on-bone thing. Um, you know, maybe like a bone contusion that gets better in a couple weeks or um, something like that. You just really hope it's not cartilage or, or a ligament or anything like that. Um I just think that the Malkin thing, he's the hardest guy to replace, um, you know, in the lineup because he drives play, um, you know, and, and helps Sid, you know, Sid right now is he's going to see top lines, top pairs, whatever it takes. Right. So, um, you know, without Malkin, you're looking at, you know, a Jared McCann runs second line. And certainly there are teams in the league that Jared McCann could be a fringe second line center for, but um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to get a read because, you know, Zucker's out, so you're losing a big left-wing piece. Um, you know, without Tanev, you're losing basically the next man up on left wing. Um, and you're asking Jared McCann to play, you know, second-line center. Now, he did thrive in that role last year, um, but he's not going to drive play like Malkin. He's not going to take the guys away from Sid. Um, you know, it's it's easier to – it's easier to kind of rely on – on Sid when Malkin's behind him than when McCann's behind him. But, um, you know, the, the thing with that is you're losing penalty killers. You're m- missing Teddy Bluger as well. Forgot to mention him. Um, don't know when he's going to be back. You know, they said longer term, but it's a lot. You're, you're really losing pretty much your whole lineup. Um, you know, Kapanen's not going to play the same either. So, like you said, one-line team. Yeah, it, it's just – I don't, it's kind of uh, upsetting because, especially you just mentioned Kapanen, like the chemistry that Kapanen and Malkin were kind of generating together was starting to get kind of scary. Like, and, and we talked about at the beginning of the season how Malkin kind of didn't look like himself, and he either he either didn't have his legs or wasn't really in it, or you know, was it just him getting older? Was it a combination of the three? But like, 
he finally started to look like himself again, and then this happens. And a note, too, with his injury, I believe this is the same knee that he injured back in, like, 2013. Or, I, no, think, it I is. think it was 2011, when he blew out mm-hmm. his knee, the Tyler Myers hit. So, um, that's certainly not appealing, but I completely forgot about the Teddy Bluger injury because there's just been so many of them. I'm glad you brought that up because he's been, you know, one of their better centers, one of their better forwards, period, this season. And um, that one really came out of nowhere. I know he finished the game against Boston, but um, and, then, and then the next game, they're like, he's out day to day. And then the next day, they're like, oh, he's out long term. I was like, what? <laughs> so um, it definitely forces, the, you know, like you mentioned, um, the pressure is now on Sid to kind of carry this team, you know, keep it above water as much as he can for as long as he can. But um, that's definitely not a formula for success, especially for this team. And that's why, as you mentioned, the, the Malkin injury is, is probably the toughest for this team and easily the most devastating because for as great as a player Crosby is, you know, he could, teams could probably neutralize him if he's just, like, it's just him by himself. But the fact that you have Crosby on one line and then Malkin on another line coming jumping over the boards right after him, that's what makes this team so special. And that's honestly what's made them so successful over the last, I don't know, 20, not, not 20 years, like 15, 16 years or so. So, um, his loss definitely hurts, especially at a time where his game seemed like it was finally trending up and peaking. And uh, hopefully they'll be able to get him back sometime before the season's over, at least for playoffs if they get into the playoffs. So um, same with Zucker, same with Bluger. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, going to get to see a lot of guys, I think, get shuffled in and out of the lineup, either through the taxi squad coming up from Wilkes. Um, probably going to see a lot of names you haven't heard before playing in the games and it's going to be exciting to see these young guys finally get their chances and see who exactly you know takes it and runs with it so um that's something to look forward to i think yeah absolutely and i mean there's a guy that you know i've kind of talked about with you is is anthony angelo um you know he's in my opinion of of the guys that have come up probably the most nhl ready um lafferty's got a lot of decision making things to work on um yeah he's got a lot of speed he plays physical don't get me wrong he's not afraid to shoot but I don't think he's quite ready. I think, um, yeah, he needs a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more time. Um, you know, he's he plays with that edge, which is good. But but Sullivan just – I don't get it. I mean, I know that he makes some crazy mistakes, Lafferty. Um, and Sully, you know, he'll take away ice time for the smallest of things from anybody. But back to Anthony Angelo, he really just plays the game right. Um, you know, he plays with a big body. He knows how to use it. He's not going to throw, you know, massive hits like Tom Wilson or anything, but, um, he's going to get on the four check. He's going to lay into some people, you know, lean on them, get them against the boards. He's going to pressure things. Um, and you saw the goal that he scored against Buffalo. I mean, um, you know, the way that that fourth line was rolling, you know, Angelo tipped the puck, um, around the defender kind of up into the air, grabbed it, threw it down and all in one motion, just ripped it right up top corner. Um, Filthy goal, but, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's been in the Penn system for a while. Uh, he's a late-round pick. He's kind of worked his way there. Um, he's really earned his chance, and I think he's a guy that should stick around, especially in a fourth-line role. Um, that fourth line got better when he entered the lineup, and I think it's been noticed. Um, you know, another guy with, you know, a little bit more size is um, Redeem Zahorna. He's a kid that we signed from the European leagues. Um, you know, he was with us through training camp. Um, early season, uh, but he's with been with Wilkes. He's been producing fairly well. Um, 
you know, but, uh, you know, Zahorna is definitely a guy that I think should earn a shot. You know, like you said, um, Dante, some new names mixing in that, yeah, we, we haven't heard, uh, it's, it'll kind of feel like 2016, you know, people really hadn't heard of Connor Sherry. People hadn't really heard much about Brian Rust or Tommy Kunockle or, you know, uh, Carter Rowney, you know, those guys, but they did what they needed to do. They kept the ship going, but you know, it's definitely tough to, to fill that void of Malkin. Um, and then Tanev and Bluger being out, I mean, it's tough. You, know, you got two big penalty killers. You got your best, you know, uh, defensive center out and truly, in my opinion, they need to bring in a third center, um, put Bluger back at fourth, because if you put that tan of Bluger, Aston Reese line as your fourth line, they're the best fourth line in hockey without question. Um, and then Angelo, you know, you elevate him to the third. Um, I feel like he could handle it. You know, he's not going to bring a ton of offense, but he might, you never know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that with these new names coming in, um, it's going to be interesting to see who earns their chance, who kind of shows that maybe they're not ready or maybe they don't deserve one. Uh, maybe see who gets brought up from Wilkes next. Uh, maybe Drew O'Connor comes back up. He's you know playing really well in Wilkes right now. Um, you know, maybe I'll start punching for that again. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, Dante, I, I guess I'll ask you this: Who um, you know of the Angelo Zahorna O'Connor, you know that kind of crew that's younger kind of earning their share of ice time who do you think uh has or is going to step up and earn it or may make the biggest impact i think i'm gonna tread along the same kind of idea that you had i think it's gonna be angelo um but this is a horn guy i think he's gonna be interesting i've never honestly had the chance to watch him play so i know his wilkes numbers are pretty impressive i know he's a big guy six foot six um but I don't know if I've I haven't actually ever seen him play before, so I can't really um, make formulate any kind of opinion on how he's played. But I think honestly, it's probably going to be either he or Angelo. And, and I think this for the reason that when you look at the Penguins and how they're constructed, like I'm not going to say that they're soft, but they just don't have a lot of big bodies. And you see this in the NHL where the game, you know, back in 2016 when the Penguins, when they brought up all those young guys, they just took the league over by speed. And then every team decided to, you know, we're going to replicate this formula and we're going to win by speed. Well, whenever the Penguins were ultimately defeated by the Capitals in 2018, that's whenever the new trend of the league started happening. So uh, the Capitals, they were built on more of like a, a speed size hybrid, right? And you saw that in 2019 with the Blues, who play a heavy grinding game. And then Tampa Bay, who was probably as skilled as any team in the NHL, but couldn't win anything until they started adding uh, grittier guys like, you know, Zach Bogosian, uh, Barclay Goudreau, Blake Coleman, guys like that. Patrick Maroon's a good one. Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be Angelo or uh, Zahorna. And I think it's because of that reason exactly because the bank, the Penguins' biggest weakness right now is clearing their net and getting to the front of the net. And for I'm not going to say like I said I'm not going to say they're soft, but you know like guys like Brandon Tanev, he's just a maniac out there on the ice. He's throwing checks all over the place, but he's not the biggest guy. So I mean I'm not saying that those checks that he throws don't hurt. And for a lot of the guys on the team when they check, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. But I feel like when a guy like Angelo or as a Hornick will throw a check, the other team's actually going to feel it or like they're not going to be able to move a kind of player like that. So I think if one of those two guys can kind of put it together here, I think they're going to be the ones that ultimately emerge and stick in the lineup whenever it's fully healthy. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, and I know we've talked about that a lot, you know, kind of on the side um, during games, after games, off days, you name it. We talk about it that, you know, one of their biggest weaknesses, like you said, is their size and they're so small. They always have been, um, you know, they've never been a big team, it, you know, I guess since the 90s, but in the Crosby Malkin era, they were a little bit bigger, you know, early on. But then the league made that switch to, you know, the the skilled, speedy, small guys and um, the Pens kind of led that. Uh, charge, I guess, you know, with, with Crosby being smaller, you know, having a guy like Kunitz who sure he's a grinder. He played like a Tanev style, but you know, far higher scoring. Um, you know, they had these guys that were, you know, smaller, not really throwing their weight around like crazy. You know, they're not Kopitar's, they're not Milan Lucic, they're not anything like that. They're, you know, they're, they're smaller, they're more skilled. They're not really out there to, to hit you, to play a ton of, you know, physical defense, anything like that. But um, you know, the league, it definitely is a flowing cycle of, you know, big and, and physical, fast, you know, that kind of thing to the speedy skilled, you know, in a couple of years, it might go back to that. It might be an every five years thing. Um, yeah, you just have to reinvent it. You have to find a way to innovate your team, innovate your structure to you know, be able to beat people. Um, you know, I guess the, the other story about clearing the front of the net, you know, talk about the net. I mean, you got Cody CC, a guy that should be clearing the net. I think he's the best one at it. Um, you know, the Penguins just don't really have that defenseman to do it. So if a forward's willing to do it, you know, kind of clear that net front area, um, you know, makes Jari into Smith's job a little bit easier. Um, you know, kind of speaking to those guys, Jari over his last, uh, I think it's five or six starts, gives up an average of two goals a game. Um, he's been lights out, but the goals that are being scored tend to be right in front of the net. To Smith, I mean, he's been even better than Jari, um, hard to believe, but you know, he, he is very similar that a lot of the goals are scored right in front of the net. And it's definitely a disturbing trend. It's not what you want to see. Um, you know, they do say, you know, get to the net. That's where good things happen. And, you know, the pens know that that's what Patrick Hornquist did for a long time. You'd think they'd know that you definitely don't want guys in there doing what Patrick Hornquist used to do to goaltenders. Um, you got to get somebody that's willing to clear that net front. Um, and make the the night for DeSmith or or Jari a little bit easier. Yeah, and I mean, you listen to some of the post game press conferences. I mean, and you could go back even probably one or two years back, and like after a loss, and they'll be like, someone will ask, you know, what what do you think you guys get, did good? What do you guys think you did wrong? And constantly, you'll hear players. I know Jake Gensel says it a lot because I've I've heard him say it a lot of times. So he's just like, you know, we. You know, we got shots, we, we were generating offense, but we just weren't getting to the front of the net enough. And that's something that I think that they have to clean up. I mean, it's been, like I said, it's been for years now. And it's not that, I don't think it's not that it's it's due to a lack of willingness. Like, I, I, I just think, like you said, and like we've said, um, it's just a lack of size. And there, there's no, you know, harm or there's no, you know, lost sense of pride in that. It's just, you know just unable to do it so um looking ahead let's dive into uh someone you know the trade deadlines coming up here april 12th um with the quarantine rules that are in effect i believe it's 14 days or so especially if it's a u.s or canada team that you know the players go into so um zach i'll let you have it who do you, who do you think's at the top of uh Hextall and burke's list right now Nobody. I don't think they're doing anything. Um, <laughs> who's at the top of their list? Probably. Uh, I, it's hard to even say because defense is definitely something that they could use some improvement in. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they. <laughs> 
It depends on the Malkin injury, I think, more than anything. If you look at it and say, okay, he'll be back in two weeks, okay, you ride out Jared McCann. You kind of hope that maybe Zucker gets healthy soon too, um, you know, or Bluger or, or Tanev or whoever. You really just got to hope that Malkin's not a long-term thing because if it's long-term, um, you know, the rumor mill's been spitting out Sam Reinhart. But the problem with that, you're going to get outbid by just about anybody, um, you know, unless you include a pool in or a leg array or somebody like that, that, you know, a higher level prospect, but Hextall doesn't want to do that because he knows right now this team has nothing, absolutely nothing coming up. And there's nothing of value that they could offer to Buffalo that says, we will give you this, that nobody else can. I mean, you look at, I think Boston was in, is in the running for him potentially, you know, Jake DeBrusque is the first piece, and he's got as much value as any of our top prospects. And he's scored three goals in 24 games, and he's, you know, 24 years old. Um, you know, if the Islanders are in on him, you know, they can give up far more than we can in terms of, you know, well, well it's picks or maybe it's prospects. You know, they've, you know, had lower um, draft picks or higher, I guess, draft picks. Um, you know, really anybody at this point can offer more than us. So, um, you know, Eric Stahl's name has been thrown out. I do not want Eric Stahl on the Penguins. Um, I don't know. I think truthfully, um, it really all does hinge on that Malkin injury. Um, you know, I, I just don't know. I think Reinhardt would be a great fit here. Um, you know, cause even when Malkin's back, he'd be a really good third center, a guy who's scored 50, 60 points before. Um, you know, and then it's one of those things that, if maybe Malkin's days of playing center come to an end, Reinhardt can move up and play center or he can play wing or he can, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. I just think that, you know, something like that may end up needing to happen to help bolster the bottom six somehow. Um, but I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on pretty much everything. I, I think it's going to make a lot of fans unhappy just because of how you to, you know, Jim Rutherford's style that we are, where, you know, making trades all the time, to now we're in with Ron Hextall, where more of a conservative approach. So I think fans that are hoping for some kind of blockbuster move or something along those lines between now and the deadline are going to be very disappointed. And I also think that what's interesting here is to think about what does the team think about it? So I do believe that they're at least going to do something, especially if the Malkin injury is as bad as, you know, is, is worse than we know it is right now. Um, I think they're going to do something where you're going to see the bottom six get tinkered with a little bit, but I don't see them making any kind of impact move where in your, like an all in move, like years past where we're giving up multiple assets for one player. Like, I think if anything, it's going to be a low risk, low to maybe like medium reward kind of deal where you're trading a depth piece for a depth piece and that's pretty much it whether it's like trading a seventh defenseman like Yuso Rikula for a bottom six forward like I I honestly think that those are all the kind of trades that you're going to see much because of what you've said where the cover's pretty much bare here I mean we got Poland we have Legere uh POJ and that's pretty much it. I mean, the two goalies we took last year, I don't see them going anywhere. Um, but you know, we'll easily get outbid by any other team. And I don't think Hextall wants to trade any of those guys for a win-now kind of move. Because I don't think him or Burke view this team as being able to win a cup right now. And And I think going back to what I said earlier about how this might upset the team, 
it really kind of makes it interesting as to where, you know, if Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel and Brian Rust and company and Jari, you know, put the team on their back here for the next couple of weeks leading up into the deadline and the Penguins walk away from deadline day empty handed, you know, what kind of message does that send to the locker room? You know what I mean? Like Sidney Crosby might be like, yeah, like what the heck, man? Like we, we just, you know, hauled it up the last couple of weeks and you're not even going to give us any kind of help. So, um, I think that's something that could be interesting that could come into play here too. But in the defense of Hextall and Burke, you know, they might also counter back and say, well, look at the last couple of playoff years. Like I'm, we're not going to mortgage any kind of our future that we have left for a, either a sweep or a three to one loss to the lowest seed in the East last year. So um, I, th- I think it's interesting. I'm, I agree with you that I do not want Eric Stahl. Um, I, I honestly, don't know what I want the Penguins to do. Like, I, I don't want them to mortgage any. I kind of just want them to stay the course. Like, I, I and I think that's the best kind of option for them right now. Um, maybe get a depth piece or two where it's not going to hurt you. But I definitely don't want to see them giving up multiple assets for a win now kind of move. Because I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this team could, could win at all right now as assembled. And I, I think a lot of moves that the Penguins make in terms of trades are going to happen over the summer and the off season during the draft um, that along the lines of that. So that, that's where I'm at right now. You know, it's interesting you bring up the whole um, kind of trajectory into the deadline and through it, you know, like you said, empty handed. Um, I personally think this is going to be a 2018 pirates type vibe. Um, you know, they were kind of like right on the cusp of contention and they rattled off 11 or 12 straight wins. Um, I don't see them making any deals as bad as glass now meadows and Boz for Archer, but, um, I feel like it's one of those things that if the penguins are hot going into the deadline, whoever these next, this next week, um, I feel like if they win, you know, four out of five games, all five games, you know, cause they do have an easier schedule coming up. If they manage to win like that and look hot minus a Malkin, a Bluger, tan of, you know, no Zucker. I, I think that's when Hextall and Burke say, okay, you look good. You're missing four out of your top nine forwards. Um, okay. We'll, we'll go get you what you need, you know, which is a third center, um, you know, and, and a fringe second one at that. We'll get you to, um, we'll get you what you need. We'll get you a supporting cast. You know, we're not going to bring in a fringe guy like Patty Marlowe. We're not going to bring in a Connor Sherry. You know, we're going to get you somebody that's going to do something. Um, you know, I, I think that's the way it goes. And if they're playing, you know, kind of every other game is a win. Every other game is a loss. You know, they might just say, well, we'll get you a, a bottom six piece. And, you know, we'll hope that when the big guys come back, it gets better. But, um, you know, the only way I see anything really happening would be, you know, like I go back to Sam Reinhart because I feel like he's the only one that, you know, has really come up that would be an impact player for the Penguins enough to, you know, kind of jolt the team would be, you know, Marcus Patterson plus a, um, I, I don't know, like he doesn't have the same value that Reinhart does. You know, Reinhart a 55 to 60 point center, um, and Patterson kind of just a steady, reasonably priced young defenseman. Um, you could potentially sell Buffalo on the idea of that, that Pedersen's young, controllable, um, and Reinhardt's probably going to be gone. Uh, even though he's RFA at the end of the year, he's probably not going to want to sign there. Um, you know, 
it's tough because you got nothing to offer anybody, but also, you know, if they're winning, if they're playing well, if they're showing you what you want to see, you almost have to do something. You can't just say, ah, everybody's hurt. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's, it's interesting you brought that up. And I really like that you did because I was kind of thinking this whole thing of show me what you got. Basically, this is probably like the prove it week, you know, for, you know, obviously Sid is going to be Sid. Jake's going to be Jake and Russ will be Russ. You know, if the goaltending plays well, they'll be fine. Um, and truthfully to me, Latang has proven to be one of the most important people on the team right now. Um, he's driving play. He's playing really well defensively and he's really helped, you know, kind of make up for these losses uh, in, in terms of injuries. Um, you know, as much as we rode him for a while, um, he's definitely <laughs> kind of proven us wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to me, that's, that's the way I see it. You know, you kind of just got to play your heart out and if you play well, you get something. If you don't, well, well, it's all right. You know, maybe next year between, you know, like you said, draft off season moves um, and, and free agency, maybe they are able to retool, bring in, you know, Sam Reinhardt on a, on an FA deal or, or something, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, between who gets traded, you know, that kind of stuff drafted, whatever. So yeah, yeah it's tough. I mean, it's real. It's really the lack of assets for me that I think is what's going to be the toughest thing. And you know, we talk about Ron Hextall being conservative, but he's also got Brian Burke right there next to him, who I would say is not very conservative at all. So, um, you know, they have kind of like the perfect balance up there. So I don't think I, I say this. I don't think that Hextall would be hesitant to make a move if it was you know, the right price, but I just have a hard time finding out what could be that right price because I don't want the Penguins to give up any of their top three prospects I mentioned, Legere, Pullan, or POJ, and I'm pretty sure Hextall doesn't either. And then, you know, Hextall has made a lot of his, you know, we see it in Philly, he likes to work through the draft. And right now, the Penguins have like three draft picks, I think, in this draft. The second a fifth and maybe two seconds. So I think they have like four picks or that's the second fifth and two sevens, I think. So it's, it's just tough. I mean, because I really don't see Hextall offering up that number two pick for anything because that's just, that's going to be the highest pick he has in his first draft with the team. So I, I don't see that number two pick going anywhere unless he's able to recruit a one or a three or, or, or the same round pick somehow another way. Um, I don't see him touching the prospect pool. I don't see any other team really, unless they have a different opinion than we do, viewing any prospect outside of that top three as anyone, you know, um, it could be an impactful prospect. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, with the approach, but I think the biggest thing is just, you know, their hands are pretty much tied right now. So um, I think it'll be interesting to watch, but that's, Kind of, I think, what's going to hold everything up here heading into deadline day. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm actually going to take a look here at their their schedule. You know, these next few games, they got two with the Sabres. Um, they got two with the Islanders. Um, and let's see, April here. Uh, deadline day, they have buff, They have the, the Bruins. They have four games between now and the deadline. Um, the Islanders, they've played well, but... Um, the Islanders have been playing pretty well, and the Penguins playing them without Malkin might make for a tall task. Um, I don't know. I feel like if you get the two wins against Buffalo, it puts you at 44 points. Um, 
yeah, I don't know what, you know, the Caps and the Islanders are going to be doing. Um, but obviously, if you can beat Buffalo twice, you get to 44. You split with the Islanders and you get to 46. Keep the Islanders, you know, you kind of make it an even point exchange. Um, I feel like going three and four in those games is enough to warrant some kind of move. But the other side of it is, like you said, assets and guys like Marcus Pedersen, Jason Zucker, um, you know, bigger names with with term on their deals that are young enough. Um, they'll bring back those assets. I think that Hextall wants um, more around draft time. I think it's almost better to just hold those guys until then. Um, and especially you're not going to move Zucker at the deadline because he's hurt, but yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely, um, it's just a puzzle at this point. And like you said, assets, they're, they're a big deal. And that's one of Hextall's favorite things. He likes to have picks. He likes to have prospects. Um, you can't really do anything without them. Yeah, and I would not be surprised. I'm going to throw a little wild card out here. I would not be surprised if instead of a addition, we see like um, someone being taken off of the lineup. Like I would say, for example, since Mike Matheson has been playing a lot better, you know, here in Pittsburgh, I it wouldn't shock me at all whatsoever if they just straight up dump, try to dump his contract at the deadline, and it ends up happening. Um, something along yeah, the lines he's of that. playing it well enough. Like, I mean, I like Matheson. I know you like Matheson too. Um, he definitely brings a different element to the Penguins' blue line. But with he, Pedersen, Marino's extension kicking in next year, it's definitely something that they're gonna have to probably re-sign Cody Cece, which also brings in another interesting topic that we kind of touched on a little bit a couple weeks ago. You and I. Um, what do you do with Cody Cece? I mean, if you He's obviously fit very well here in Pittsburgh. Um, if you don't resign him, which I think they should, like right away, do you, you know, trade him at the deadline for assets whenever his value is at his highest? Because the last thing I want them to do with him is let him walk away for nothing. So um, I-, I could see them either trying to dump Matheson's contract while he's playing a little bit fairly better, because that contract's going to be an issue headed down the road, um, especially with the flat cap. And the other extensions that we've mentioned. So um, I, I could either see them dumping Matheson's contract or trying to, or potentially selling high on Cody CC if they don't want to resign him heading into next season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Matheson's not putting up, um, you know, his customary double digit goals um, and, you know, 40 points or whatever. But, you know, shortened season, it's kind of hard to score that many goals as a defenseman, anyways. But, uh, you know, it, it's definitely interesting because I would personally sign CC to like a two year, four and a half million, you know, 2.25 a year. Um, I feel like he's earned it and that's a fair price for um, a penalty killing bottom pair defenseman um, who will play 20 minutes and he has no problem doing so. Um, I agree though. You know, you got Marino's uh, extension coming, you know, you got the last year, Latang, you got Dumoulin at 4 million, you got Latang at seven, Marino's going to be four and a half. Um, I feel like it comes down to either Matheson or Pedersen. I think um, being that Matheson makes a million more, it's a little harder to move. You know, he's, he'll have what, like five years at 5 million um, after this year to the five or six years. Um, you know, but Pedersen's got, yeah, I think it might be. Um, and then Pedersen's got, you know, four more years at 4 million. So, I don't know. I personally, I mean, I know it's a little biased being that I do like Matheson a lot. I would move Pedersen being that Matheson's going to play your top four minutes. He'll give you that 20 to 21 a night. Um, And he is kind of worth that price if he plays the way he is this year. 
Um, you know, maybe in a full year, you let him, um, you know, run the power play. You kind of start weaning Latang off of it, and you kind of see what you have in Matheson in terms of that. <clears throat> um, you know, if he plays defense this well, kills penalties, plays twenty to twenty-two minutes a night, I think five million is justified in your top four, um, and that kind of puts you at you know an eleven and nine million as your top four, um, so twenty. Um, and then you get Ricola, a guy to play bottom six, or you sign somebody in free agency or POJ or whatever you do. Um, you know, I, I think truthfully, Pedersen is the one that I would move. Um, but it's also hard to say because it is definitely, um, you know, it, it's a tough choice. But I think Pedersen was more of JR's guy. Um, and I don't know if he quite fits what Burke and, uh, and Hextall want, whereas Matheson will play a little bit more physically. Um, and he does drive play way more than Pedersen does. I think they value that. Um, so I feel like Pedersen might end up being the cap casualty there. Plus four millions, you know, <laughs> not going to complain about that. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think another thing too is between Matheson and Pedersen, I think Pedersen's going to bring you the greatest return too. Um, oh, so for that's, sure. That's definitely going to be factored in. And, and like you said, you're going to have to pick one of them, you know, because you can't have every defenseman on your defensive, every left defenseman on your defensive pair making $4 million. Um, let alone be, let Mike Matheson make 4.8 on your uh, bottom six pairing. So um, I agree with you. I think they should give him more options. Um, I wouldn't be upset if they decided to trade his contract, you know, just dump off, get his contract off the books. But at the same time, um, he's definitely been something good for the Penguins this season. I think you could say, um, Definitely bring a new element from the back end that we haven't seen in a while. Um, the defense is scoring a lot of goals this year, which we haven't been able to say much. But, um, yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you. I think Pedersen would be the one to go based off a of return, based off cap number, based off fit, um, pretty much everything you said. Yeah, it's it's definitely just, you know, a lot to look for. You know, certainly the new management's going to have, um, you know, kind of their own scheme, their own plans. So, um, you know, it's a lot to look at. You know, we got another week till the deadline. Um, and we'll probably do a uh, deadline day episode, you know, kind of that night. You know, they'll be playing Boston, so we'll be able to kind of talk about that as well. But I don't know. It's definitely going to be interesting. You know, you did mention briefly, and I do kind of want to touch on it, um, the whole quarantine thing, um, Canada and the United States. I mean, you bring someone in from Canada, it's a 10 day wait. You bring someone from the U S into Canada, it's like a two week wait. Um, so I don't see a lot of Canadian to American deals, um, being that that pretty much would be the lat, like, you know, another like third of the remainder of the season. Um, so I think it's going to be a lot of just, uh, kind of maybe not interdivision or inter, or intra division, correct? Um, it might be something where we move, make moves with the central and the west, but the north pretty much stays the same unless they move players amongst themselves. So, yeah, um, I could also see a lot of like those deals could probably get done if you know, like like ten or fourteen days before the deadline. So that way, at the deadline, they'd have those players. So I think that's something that could be you know something to watch for too. A lot with these Canadian teams, like here, over the next week or so. Um, Teams mm-hmm. might be looking ahead with the quarantine, so um, and looking ahead with the trade deadline. So we could see a lot of deals could happen here within the next couple of weeks or next week or so. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's definitely going to be a, a quieter deadline, um, but it's going to be a good one at that. I think that the Penguins have two directions they could go. I don't really think there's a middle ground. I think it's you either move stuff for assets or you you do try and get that piece. Um, you know, all depending on the injuries and all depending on. 
um, the team's performance over these next four games. I think if you're able to play really well, um, win all four, it kind of forces management's hand. Even if you take three of four, um, you kind of have to beat Buffalo twice. If you split with the Islanders, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I think truthfully, you know, there's a lot riding on these four games. There's a lot riding on the health of Malkin um, more than anybody else. So, yeah, I mean, if it's going to be it's going to be a wild week um, in terms of kind of how this all plays out. So um, is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, cap this one off? I think that just about covers it all. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think that was a pretty good uh a pretty good analysis of what the team's looking like. And uh, we'll talk again in about a week. Uh, hopefully the, the deadline has gone well and there's no reason for us to meet before then uh, for anything crazy or worse happening. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you on deadline day. Uh, be safe and we'll talk to you then. See you guys. Be safe.